Ali'i Drive, the road most consider the touristy hub of Kailua-Kona on the big island of Hawaii, leads south to Keoho Bay. Restaurants, shops, condos, and hotels fill this stretch of seafront drive. There are popular beaches like Magic Sands, named for the soft white sand that seems to disappear from shore during the winter season. Large waves brought on by the winter swell churn the soft sand which gets sucked out to sea, exposing the large rocks buried below. The normally white sandy beach transforms into boulders and rocks. Surfers don't mind climbing over these obstacles to get to the water, because if the rocks show, the waves grow, meaning surfs up. After the winter swell passes, the waves die down, ushering sand back to shore. Down Ali'i Drive a little further is Kahalu Beach Park, world famous for its snorkeling. Turtles often rest in the calm waters of the bay, the water, crystal clear and perfect viewing for the aquatic ecosystem. Further out in the bay, a gentle break makes Kahalu a great place for beginner and experienced surfers alike. Paradise, right? Well, as this podcast theme suggests, in Hawaii, with paradise comes the paranormal. At the end of our six-mile scenic tour of Ali'i Drive is Keoho Bay. This beautiful seaside town is home to the Kona Lagoon Hotel, epicenter of where today's chilling stories were born and continue on to this day. Once a top-of-the-line resort, the property mysteriously closed its doors forever after just four short years of operation. Numerous buyers with plans to redevelop the beachfront resort continued to fall through, and the property sat vacant for years, seemingly cursed. But many longtime locals who know the bloody history of the region would tell you the land is exactly that cursed. The official story of why the Kona Lagoon closed was that its Japanese business owners went bankrupt. In the 80s, Japan had a thriving economy built off of greatly inflated real estate and stock prices. This price bubble eventually burst, stagnating Japan's thriving economy, starting more than a decade of financial decline. Many business owners, like that of the Kona Lagoons, 
lost practically everything. I looked into this a little further, and what I find odd about this explanation is that the Konolagoon Hotel closed its doors in 1988. Japan's price bubble didn't start its decline until 1990, and finally did burst in 1992. This was four years after the hotel's closure, meaning the property closed at the peak of Japan's thriving economy. So the explanation of its owners going broke doesn't really make sense to me. Now rumors of the real reason for the hotel's closure, the one that would have been long forgotten if not for the stories passed on throughout the community over the years, was because of the hauntings. Before the internet and travel review sites, the only way these strange tales were kept alive, no pun intended, happened when locals got together to talk story. Talking story in Hawaii's culture is essentially hanging out with family or friends to catch up. It could be for five minutes after crossing paths with an old friend, or it could be for hours at a family gathering. Topics of discussion when talking story can range from sports, family updates, smoked meat recipes, and very often, ghosts. Murmurs of Kona Lagoon's revolving door of hotel staff, who kept leaving due to witnessing something supernatural, were kept alive by the community through story. Hotel managers were so used to employees going missing mid-shift that they started to assume anyone gone for longer than usual had quit. There were more than a few awkward instances where a long bathroom break was mistaken for someone abandoning their post. One of the chilling stories that made its rounds involved a tourist couple on honeymoon visiting Kona for the first time. Stuffed from dinner, the couple decided to take a romantic stroll on the beach to walk it off. The sun had set a few hours earlier. The sky had already completed its colorful transformation and allowed the dark of night to take over. They stopped for a passionate kiss, embraced in each other's arms. The salty ocean breeze mixed with the scent of their pikake, or Hawaiian jasmine lays. The primal beauty of Hawaii 
magnified by the slurry of new senses attacking their synapses. As they turn to continue their walk down the beach, the feeling of being watched crept over them, like eyes were on them from every direction. Remembering they were in an unfamiliar area, the thought of being jumped by a group of territorial locals flashed in the husband's mind. Not the way he wanted to start their vacation. He quickly scanned the shore for any possible threat. Standing alone, about 50 yards in front of them, was an old Hawaiian woman. Relieved in the misinterpreted threat of a little old lady, and slightly blushing from their unintentional PDA, the pair headed in her direction to say hi. The woman was dressed in a dark shawl made of what looked like burlap, but was really kappa, traditional Hawaiian fabric. Fibrous bark from a plant was pounded, dried, and softened into this material. But the practice was lost after colonization forced the upheaval of many native customs. Oh, she must be an actor from the Luau, the wife thought. But thinking back, the Luau performers were all fit, oiled up men and women in the early 20s, wearing cotton loincloths and coconut bras. Not attire anyone wanted to see this woman wearing, the husband thought. This woman was old. A lot older. Wrinkles creased her dark face, giving her the appearance of a sculpture carved of wood. She must have been in her mid-80s? Or maybe even in her 90s? Although looking like she'd topple over at any moment from old age, she stood still as a statue, staring at the two as they approached. Being both love drunk and real drunk off of guava juice and rum, the smiling husband offered over an exaggerated Aloha! and waved a shaka sign. Like the word aloha, the friendly hand gesture made by making a fist with a thumb and pinky extended out, was used throughout the islands in greeting, departure, and gratitude. The old woman just stared back expressionless. The couple looked at each other, holding back giggles at the awkwardness of her unreturned greeting. Maybe she was hard of hearing. Deciding not to stop for a chat, the couple strolled past the woman who continued her ice-cold stare. Now with their backs to the woman, a chill crept down their spines, but neither understood why. Something about the woman felt odd, 
but they couldn't place what it was. The air felt still, the breeze suddenly dead. Something didn't feel right. The old woman's silence towards the couple now felt less innocent and more purposeful. Then, the realization of what was off about the woman hit them both at the same time. Where were her feet? They whipped their bodies around to confirm the old Hawaiian woman had no feet. She was hovering a foot off the sand, motionless. The couple looked down at the legs that protruded out from beneath the kapa garment. In their horror, they saw those two bony legs ended in two bony nubs. The husband recoiled in horror. Sand flew everywhere as the wife stumbled backwards, trying to create distance from the terror in front of them. Then, the old woman smiled. A toothless, depraved smile that turned her wrinkles into crevices. As the couple scrambled to gain footing in the soft sand, the old hag began slowly advancing towards them. Without a second look, the two ran for their lives, screaming back to the perceived safety of tiki torches and room service. Spooky, yeah? Who is this lone woman who seems to find pleasure, or at least amusement, in tormenting anyone who crosses her path? This was just one story of people witnessing this footless apparition. For years, locals told stories of encountering this restless spirit while fishing those very beaches. It's easy to dismiss the idea of ghosts when you're in paradise, in your hotel room, air conditioner blaring, TV on to distract you. If the idea of a soft bed behind the safety of a deadbolt comforts you, just know it's an illusion. Many of the strange occurrences at the Kona Lagoon happened within its walls. Guests at the hotel complained of children playing in the hallways. The sounds of kids running up and down the halls echoed at random hours of the night. Sleeping vacationers were jolted awake by pounding on their doors, only to find an empty hallway. In some cases, disheveled guests frantically checked out in the middle of the night while at the front desk, clothes falling out of their hastily stuffed suitcases, they'd rant about waking up to the thing on their bed. After falling asleep, they'd awaken to the weight of something laying next to them, or even on top of them. Unable to scream, 
these guests felt the sensation of being choked by an invisible presence. With hands around their necks or a weight on their chest, they'd be on the verge of passing out. Then, the feeling would just dissipate. In Hawaii, we call these choking or pressing ghosts and are surprisingly very common. I'll definitely be covering this topic more in a future episode. Some stories told of screams and the sounds of warriors in battle being heard. Others claimed when the wind blew in from the mountain instead of the ocean, they could hear chanting and drums. Complaints continued about the children or the battle cries, thinking a guest had their TV on too loud. At first, security would thoroughly investigate. Night after night, they'd roam the quiet halls with nothing amiss. After a point, hotel staff supposedly started telling guests nothing could be done about the noise. Security stopped investigating. Eventually, the Kona Lagoon Hotel closed just four short years after opening. At first, not much changed for the newly closed hotel. The assumption was that another resort chain would buy the property and after a quick remodel, would reopen under a new name. Outdoor paths remained illuminated at night by garden spotlights and just enough of the hotel lights were left on at night, allowing security guards to protect the property from squatters or vandals. I assume it was these security workers that first started to leak the stories of these restless spirits. But before the hotel's closure, and even further back than that, locals knew that this entire stretch of Keohoe was haunted. For as long as Polynesians occupied Hawaii, they disposed of their dead deep in caves and secret unmarked sand dunes were covered by stacked stones. According to Hawaii.gov, hundreds of these sites have been discovered all across Hawaii over the years. Under law, if any remains are discovered during construction, all development must be halted so the remains can be properly collected for study. Rumor is, this did not happen during the construction of some of these hotels in the area. Are the restless spirits that roam these beaches the ghosts of people from these desecrated grave sites? Possibly. Or they could be the spirits of thousands killed in ritualistic human sacrifice. Yep. You heard that right. Tens of thousands of Hawaiians are believed to have been sacrificed on the very grounds of the Kona Lagoon Hotel. 
Visitors new to the island might be surprised to learn two sacrificial heiaus, or temples, still stand on the property today. A heiau is an ancient Hawaiian temple constructed of tightly stacked lava rocks made into platforms. People were placed on these platforms and sacrificially killed for their mana, or spiritual power. The belief was mana could be absorbed by royalty or high priests. It can be easy to overlook the two unmarked heiaus located on the beach in front of where the hotel stood. The ancient piles of rocks that form the platform of the heiau look more like a crumbling rock wall than a temple. Petroglyphs carved hundreds of years ago can also be found around this site and along the beaches of Keoho. Obviously, great historical significance is connected with these locations. It goes without saying, if you do plan on visiting this area, it is very important not to touch, stand on, or disturb any part of the heiau. One of the most brutal stories of human sacrifice that happened on these beaches involved a rivalry between King Lonoika Makahiki, King of the Big Island, and King Kamala Lavalu, the King of Maui. Before the Hawaiian Islands were united under one rule, feuds for control were common. The King of Maui, Kamala Lavalu, secretly brought his men to the northern coast of the Big Island for a surprise attack. After defeating the warriors guarding the northern coast, Maui's warriors continued inland. They posted up on a large hillside that overlooked the arid, volcanic terrain. Big Island's king, Lonoikamakahiki, learned of the surprise attack and sent more warriors for reinforcement. Maui's greatly outnumbered warriors watched as they were surrounded from all sides, trapping them on the hillside. Maui's warriors quickly retreated but lacked enough canoes to escape, and most were slaughtered. There are varying accounts of what happened to the defeated King Kamala Lavalu once the dust settled. One tale tells of his defeat and capture by King Lonoikamakahiki. Severely injured, Maui's king is offered as a sacrifice to the Ke'eku Heiau, one of the two temples mentioned earlier. He is impaled on the Heiau and left to suffer a slow, agonizing death. King Lonoikamakahiki instructed his people to give the dying man water but no food, keeping him alive longer, thus extending the suffering endured. For three days and nights, echoes of the dying king could be heard throughout the area.
This last story has always been my favorite tale about the Kona Lagoon Hotel. It's given me chills since the first time hearing it from my mom. Back in the 90s, a former Kona Lagoon security guard started working as a delivery driver for the same company my mom worked for. The tale he told her is one of the scariest stories I've heard in my life. But before we start this last creepy tale, grab a green bottle from the fridge, spark up that paranormal pakalolo if that's your thing, settle in, get comfortable, and let's get into this. Bernard was big, like offensive lineman in the NFL big. Standing six foot three and one lao lao away from 300 pounds, he was the true definition of a gentle giant. When Bernard was a teen, he and his family moved to Hawaii from Samoa. The similar island lifestyles made it easy to assimilate, and after a few years, Hawaii had become home. He was soft-spoken, kept to himself, but a hard worker and immediately picked up the duties of the job. It didn't take long for the other co-workers to take a liking to the big lunk. It was only a matter of time before his co-workers learned of his time at the hotel. And like always, wanted to know if Bernard thought the place was haunted. 100% that place is haunted, Bernard said after being asked one day while on lunch break. 100%, he emphasized stone-faced. He then went into the story that changed his life forever. Bernard had been working at the Kona Lagoon Hotel for a few months during this time. By now, the hotel had been closed for about two years. At first, still hoping the property would be sold, all furniture, mattresses, tables, framed wall art, still remained in the rooms. But by this point, the hotel had been branded as cursed, and it sat in development purgatory. With no other staff or guests to occupy the building, most of the fuses in the breaker box remained off to reduce as much electricity use. A few lights remained on to illuminate the exterior of the property, but the rooms and halls were essentially left dark throughout the night. The only light illuminating the halls came from the red emergency exit signs required to stay on. Bernard's job had just two responsibilities, patrol and secure 
darkness made it easy for Kolohe teenagers, attracted by the lore of the hotel, to sneak around looking for ghosts. Vandals were also an issue. Walls were often spray-painted and windows broken. There were also a couple of instances where former guards unexpectedly ran into vagrants looking for a dry place to lay their heads. Terrifying if you're in a dark hallway, not expecting to see anyone. Would you sleep in a dark, haunted building? No thanks. The locker room for the guards was located on the basement level, directly below the hotel's former kitchen. When in operation, the kitchen was loud and bustling. All was in preparation for the next meal's service, but had long forgotten the chaos of a busy night. It now stood dark and mostly empty. Just a few stainless steel tables bolted to the floor and a lone refrigerator oddly standing in the middle of the room. The same exit lights that illuminated the hotel halls splashed the kitchen red, just like those horror movies from the 70s, Bernard thought on his first day. He always started his shift by dropping his sack lunch off in the kitchen fridge. The guards used the refrigerator to store their lunches and drinks during the shift. Lockers and the time clock were in the basement, which was the only room with full power. After dropping off his lunch, Bernard continued downstairs to clock in and change into his guard uniform. Normally there would be an overlap in guards, but someone had quit earlier in the week, the fourth since Bernard had started. Bernard would begin his patrol outside by circling the perimeter of the property. He'd then walk up the seven flights of stairs to the roof of the building, then descend down each dark floor, making sure all doors were closed and lights off. After completing two of these rounds, he'd break for lunch, then finish up his shift by completing two more rounds. At first, walking those dark floors were unnerving. Hallways were suffocating, and shadows danced in his peripherals from the movement of his flashlight. Echoes carried unnaturally far, and the rattle of palm trees blowing in the wind added to the creepy ambiance. But after a few nights, Bernard got used to being alone on the property and actually started to enjoy the solitude. This would not last. The night that ended up being his last as a Kona Lagoon security guard started like every other night. Bernard had climbed the stairs to the roof and was about to start his descent into each floor. The floors were just as it should have been. Dark rooms with closed doors. 
the night had been dead, uneventful, just as he liked it. Bernard exited the building after reaching the ground floor. The cool Kona breeze was inviting after the thick stifling air of the hallways. As he began his second round of patrol around the hotel perimeter, Bernard glanced up at the top floor and noticed lights. Several of the rooms were now fully illuminated as if occupied. Huh? Bernard thought. He was pretty sure the power was still cut to the building. Had one of the other guards turned on the breaker? With beds still being stored in the empty rooms, vagrants were an issue in the past. Bernard sprinted back into the building to the breaker box. Inspecting each fuse, he noticed that the correct fuses remained off. Weird. Probably just flashlights then, Bernard thought as he headed up the stairs to investigate. Out of breath from the jaunt up the seven flights of stairs... Bernard busted through to the top floor, fully expecting a rowdy group of teens looking for a place to party. He was surprised to find a dark, quiet hallway. Thoroughly inspecting each room on the floor, Bernard turned up empty-handed. Not believing in the supernatural, Bernard went into detective mode trying to figure out the enigma placed on him this night. He flicked each light switch on, curiously trying to figure out the source of the lights. Losing track of time, Bernard realized he'd spent more than 40 minutes investigating this floor. He had missed his normal lunch break time and decided the lights must have been due to faulty electrical wires. Suddenly realizing how starved he was, Bernard headed back down to the kitchen fridge to get his lunch. Reaching the ground floor is when he smelled it. The rotting smell of death hit him instantly. The air was heavy with the smell of decay. Great. Bernard thought. A few weeks earlier, a mongoose had died somewhere on property, and this was the same type of smell. Now I'll have to deal with tracking down an animal carcass, he thought. At least it broke up the monotony. But first, this big boy gotta eat. Lifting his shirt to cover his nose from the smell, Bernard continued to the hotel fridge. Rounding the corner, the stench hit him like a slap in the face. Oh god, did a rat try to get into the fridge and die? The dead mongoose they'd found the other day had died after squeezing into an AC unit. 
Oh, man. Bernard prayed that the animal had not gotten into the refrigerator before dying. Or worse, shorting the fridge in turn killing itself. And now his lunch was also rotting. His stomach groaned at the thought of his lunch being ruined. Other guards would have left the stench for the next shift to deal with. But Bernard had pride in his work ethic. His patrol his responsibility. As Bernard approached the fridge, he realized how sweaty his hands were. Why was he feeling so anxious? Maybe it was from the blood-red backdrop of the room illuminated by the exit sign. With each step closer to the refrigerator, the stench increased, just like the heartbeat pounding in his chest. Man, death really smells like dog doo-doo, he thought. He heard the flies before he could see them, hundreds of them buzzing around the stainless steel frigid air. How the heck could this many flies gather in such short of a time? He'd only been gone for a couple of hours at most. Now walking at a snail's pace, Bernard approached the refrigerator, eyes watering from the smell. Now that he was a few feet from the fridge, the swarm of flies were thick enough to be visible. Bernard swatted at them as he circled the entirety of the refrigerator searching for the cause of the stench. Since the fridge was placed in the center of the room, it was easy to inspect the rear of the unit for chewed wires or dead animals. Huh, nothing. Just that same droning buzz from the black mass of insects circling him. The constant tapping of the flies colliding into his clothing gave him the willies. Ugh, gross. He swatted at them as he knelt down to check under the fridge. Shining his mag light under the crack of the refrigerator, he saw nothing. A rattle from the fridge jolted it a few centimeters forward, startling the big man. Jeez. It seemed the unit's compressor was attempting to kick in, but failed. Standing upright again and tightly pressing his lips together to avoid inhaling any flies, Bernard walked around to the front of the refrigerator. Lifting his shirt again to cover his nose, he prepared to open the door. A scratching noise emitted from inside of the appliance. Damn rats. They smelled their dead buddy and came to pay respect by eating him. <laughs> Bernard joked to himself, trying to ease his nerves. The image of his rat-shredded sandwich bag popped into his head, instantly pissing off the star of Samoan. Oh, you bastards. I'm gonna get you. With the mag light in one hand, 
ready to illuminate and eliminate those stinking rats. Bernard tiptoed to the fridge door and slowly gripped the handle. His plan? Surprise attack? Rat goes splat. Bernard braced, readied himself, and swung the door open. He stumbled back a few steps, almost retching. Oh, God. That smell. The mass of escaping flies made it difficult to see into the fridge. As the flies began to dissipate, Bernard's mind began to piece together the horror in front of him. Crammed tightly inside the refrigerator was the smiling, footless old Hawaiian woman. The same menacing ghoul that had terrified the newlyweds stared back at him. She sat in the fetal position, arms wrapped around the knees that were pulled to her chest. Flies crawled all over her face, over her eyes, out of her gaping, grinning mouth. Bernard could see her legs ended halfway up her shin. He fell backwards hard, his feet scuffing the tile floor as he attempted to push his 300-pound body away from the terror. Then, she started to move. Eyes still locked with Bernard's, she began to sit upright, her movements stiff and unnatural. Oh my god. That smile... Bernard had never seen such a disturbing smile, almost a snarl. Those deep wrinkles accentuating the evil she conveyed. Bernard's heart pounded so hard in his chest, he worried he'd go into cardiac arrest. Then, in the literal blink of an eye, the old woman went from sitting crouched inside of the refrigerator to floating upright. One second she was seated, the next she was hovering several feet in front of him. Before he could even think, the woman began slowly moving towards him, the same grimace of a smile plastered on her sinister face. Urine began to soak through Bernard's khakis and pooled on the tile where he was still seated. Frozen in fear was a term he'd heard, but never experienced. The warmth of his soiled pants finally snapped him back into reality. He scurried backwards away from the woman, flopping like a mempachi just pulled from the water. Bernard rolled onto his belly while pushing himself up to his feet. As he sprinted out of the kitchen, he could still feel the woman's presence right on his heels her ice-cold breath on his back as he ran. The petrified Samoan didn't stop running when he got out of the building or when he got to his car or the end of the hotel parking lot. No, Bernard kept running past the perimeter of the Kona Lagoon Hotel past the tennis courts of the neighboring Keohoe Beach Hotel and straight to their lobby. (sighs) Chuckling, 
the receptionist behind the front desk called to her coworker in the back office. Eh, here comes another one. An amused Japanese woman popped her head out of the office that was behind the front desk counter and smiled at Bernard. Eh, boy, you like use our phone? Call someone to come pick you up, take you home. I bet you get some stories, yeah? She laughed. Hey, look, he went shishi his pants. <laughs> These employees from the neighboring hotel had seen their fair share of terrified, out-of-breath Kona Lagoon security guards in their lobby. The story was always the same. They saw something. They ran. They'd ask to use the phone to call someone to pick them up. Screw their vehicle for tonight. They could get it tomorrow. When the sun was up at the highest point in the sky, revealing anything that may be hiding in the shadows. In 2004, 16 years after closing their doors, the greatly deteriorating buildings were finally demolished. Plans to build a resort themed around more of an authentic Hawaiian experience were discussed. But like the spirits who have claimed these grounds, just the ghost of the Kona Lagoon Hotel itself remains on the empty lot. Thank you so much for joining me on the first ever episode of Ghost Lore of Hawaii. Paranormal Paradise. This has been a passion project that I've been wanting to produce for a while now. I definitely feel like Hawaii is greatly underrepresented in the paranormal world. Growing up in Hawaii, it seemed everyone believed in the supernatural. It wasn't until I moved away to the mainland to attend university that I learned I was the minority in more than one way. (laughs) Stupid. Like Bernard, there are many transplants who did not believe in ghosts before moving to Hawaii. However, after a couple of years, plenty have experienced enough of the supernatural to make them believers. The goal of this podcast is to share these stories of the paranormal to those of you who might not know of Hawaii's haunted history. Those that are familiar with some of these tales... I hope you find my versions fun and entertaining as well. Do you have any stories of the Kona Lagoon Hotel that I didn't cover? Maybe you know someone who used to work at the hotel, or even stayed there back when it was open. I'd love to hear your stories. If you have any paranormal tales about Hawaii that you'd like to hear on the podcast, or have any advice or feedback, you can email me at ghostlore.of.hawaii at gmail.com I also recently started an Instagram account at ghostlore.of.hawaii as well as a Facebook group. Stop by and add me as a friend. So thank you so much again for tuning in. I truly appreciate every single listener. Please like, share, Subscribe, download, it all helps. If you were entertained, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts 
It really helps the show get noticed and does make a huge difference. All episodes have been written, produced, and voiced by me, Uncle Jared. Please forgive me if any of the stories that you've heard on the podcast differ from a version that you may have heard in the past. In some instances, I may alter some aspects of the story, but the backbone will remain the same. Some names and locations may also be altered for privacy's sake. Shishi his pants. <laughs>